And so Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20 has been uh, typically it's called the Great Commission. In my study, I was able to find that the reality is there are three greats here. And so this sermon is titled Three Great Statements of Christ. And we're going to talk about these three different claims that Jesus makes. I'm assuming three different statements that Jesus makes, three different things, three what I like to call three greats that he communicates to his disciples and and thereby to us through this very short passage this morning. And so I'll read the passage, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. We'll pray together and then we will jump in. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me again. Oh Lord, we come to you again, thankful for the opportunity to connect, even be at this virtual service. Thank you for the opportunity to be in our new space. Lord, I just pray that you'd be present in every facet of the the, the, um, communication and the technology, that it would all uh, go smoothly, that, oh, Holy Spirit, you would speak through me and with clarity and conviction and your effectual power, your word would go forth and it would accomplish in the hearts and the minds of every person tuning in this morning exactly and precisely what it is you desire. My prayer is that you would be saving that you would be changing us, that you would be encouraging us, that you'd be convicting us, you'd be challenging us, you'd be inspiring us to become all that you desire. Father, in joy for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, we thank you for hearing us this morning and being with us in a special way. Amen and amen. And so, brothers and sisters, our passage this morning begins with the 11 apostles. One is missing because after Jesus is crucified, he unfortunately has taken his own life, and that is Judas Iscariot. And so the 11 apostles are Galilee and a very great, a place of very great significance for these men. And it's for three primary reasons, uh, three immediate reasons. The first is, this is where Jesus called the first four disciples, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, from the sermon in Mark chapter 1. This is where he called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, the fishermen who were fishing in the Sea of Galilee, and who would become, to Jesus, fishers of men. Second reason this place is significant is because it was where Jesus told Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who he met near his tomb, to tell the disciples, these apostles, to meet him at. Third, it was the place where Jesus himself prophesied that he would meet his apostles after he had died and they'd all fallen away. And I think that this third piece of significance of the significance of this place is the most significant because it highlights Jesus's undying commitment to and his love for these men. Very often in sermons, 
we talk about uh, when Peter denied Jesus three times and of Jesus reinstating Peter three times in that breakfast by the sea scene that happens after Jesus' resurrection. But I think that we forget or we undermine the fact that Peter wasn't the only one who needed to be reinstated. All of the apostles fled when the stuff hit the fan. They all left Jesus when he was being arrested at his lowest point. All of them left Jesus to suffer alone. All of them fell away on account of him. And all of them needed to be reminded of his love for them. All of them needed to be reaffirmed as members of his kingdom and of his beloved family. And so what better place to remind them than the place where it all began? And you can imagine, if you take your mind and place it where they are, you can imagine that in this place in Galilee by the sea, these men are smelling the same seawater that they were fishing in when Jesus called them to follow him. They can probably look and see precisely the same spot where their boats was where their boats were, the same spot where where they were dragging their nets to catch some fish when Jesus came and called them and they left everything and followed him. And their minds are probably racing through from that point all that has happened over these past three years as they followed Jesus right up until he was gruesomely taken from them. And then, here he is. Here is Jesus, standing before them, alive and well. The last time they saw him, he was being arrested and strung up on a cross. And here he is, by the same sea where it all began, alive and well. Everything that Jesus told them would happen from that very moment, over the past three years, has happened exactly as he said, all the way through to his miraculous resurrection from the dead. And we can only imagine the mental trip that this might have been for them, right? To have so much come full circle in these three years. To be in the very same place where everything began, while at the same time having their world forever changed. Yes, they're in the same place where Jesus found them, but they are not the same men that Jesus found. Jesus told them at that very lake that they would change. Jesus told these fishermen that they would become fishers of men. And here they are, back at the Sea of Galilee ready to fill their nets, but with an altogether altogether different kind of catch. For all this time, Jesus brings them back to this Sea of Galilee to prove to them that he does love them, that he is committed to them, and that he is indeed worthy of their trust. And brothers and sisters, just a quick, I want us to see here in this in this passage that sometimes in our own lives as Christians, Jesus will remind us 
of where we've come from just so that we can see how far he's brought us. Sometimes Jesus will take us by where we used to be, where we used to live. Let us see what we used to do just so that we can be reminded of how good he has been to us in bringing us to where we are now. And that's what he's doing for his disciples. And it's against this backdrop that this backdrop of Jesus's commitment to them that Jesus goes on to communicate these three great things. And the three great things are this. He communicates a great claim. He communicates a great commission. And he also communicates a great comfort, a great claim, a great commission and a great comfort. And so the first thing we'll talk about here is the great claim. And so Jesus draws near to the disciples, to, to the apostles and declares that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in verse 17, we read that some of the 11 apostles, they fell down and worshiped Jesus when they saw them, but others of them doubted that it was him. See why Matthew, the gospel writer, why he, why he tells us that Jesus drew near to them. He drew near to them so that he can get a little closer, so they can see him and hear him better, so that they can see that this is indeed him. And when he gets close to them, he makes an audacious claim. He claims that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And friends, it's important for us to see here, Jesus is not exercising hyperbole. He's not speaking in extremes for the sake of effect or impact as he has in other gospels, in other uh, parts of the gospel. His claim here literally means that he now exercises unlimited power, unlimited rule over both heaven and earth. And that means over all creation, over the universe. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he has conquered all sin. He has conquered all death, and he has conquered all evil that has reigned previously over creation. And now he rightfully claims that throne as he rules in holiness for the of all things, especially his children. And our brothers and sisters, I want to take a moment to address the fact that for some of us, all of this language about authority and power and rule, it may be it may be triggering for some of us because historically in our lives, authority and rule and power and words like that, it, it didn't bring up. It doesn't bring up good memories. Right. It may cause you to think of of people who were an authority in your life, people who should have protected you people who should have supported you, but instead they abused their positions of power and they didn't care for you the way they should have. And so I'd like to take a quick second, if I might, to help you reframe, reframe in your mind what Jesus' authority means. Man of the apostle. Consider a person in your life who you're confident is for your good. And if you can't think of that person right now, Imagine what that person would be in your life. For me personally, that person is my oldest brother. Um, and if he called me one day and he said, he said, hey, bro, listen, all authority over all things has been given to me. Then I would probably drop the phone. I'd run over to my wife, Nicole, and I'd say, hey, babe, let's go. Let's pack up. Let's do it. And she'd ask, where are we going? 
And I'd say wherever we want. Because my brother now has all authority. And there's not a doubt in my mind that he is going to take care of us wherever we go and whatever we do. In a similar way, brothers and sisters, Jesus now having all authority has that impact for these apostles. Jesus having all authority means that these men, as his disciples, as his closest friends, have all of his authority backing them up. Wherever they go and whatever they do, they can go and do with the full confidence that this Jesus who loves them, who is committed to them, and and who they can wholeheartedly trust has their backs. The disciples can now go out into the world and embark on their kingdom mission without fear or reservation because he who rules all things is providing all of the support that they'll need. I have a friend who she is a missionary with her husband in a closed country. Uh, The country is so closed that she cannot disclose what country it is. Um, I don't even really know what region of the world it's in. It's that country. She's in that much danger. Periodically, support letters. These letters are all written in code. Uh, There's letters of different languages mixed together so it can't be easily deciphered. And I've often thought, what would possess a person like my friend, an educated person, who could probably do all their what pell a person like this to put them in such danger for the sake of the kingdom? Well, friends, I believe, at least partly, that it's this truth that emboldened my friend and her husband to embark on such a scary mission. It's the fact that the ruler of all creation has her back that she can go to wherever this closed country is and serve without reservation and without fear. And so, friends, here's the question for us, or the questions for us. Where would you go and what would you do if you believed, truly believed, that the one who has all power and authority was supporting you? Who would you witness to? Where would you get plugged into ministry? What job would you pursue? What would you do? Well, these questions lead us to the next great in our sermon this morning. And this is the great commission or the great call to service in the kingdom. And as we talk about the great commission, it's broken down into three different parts. There's a lot being said by Jesus to his apostles and to us. In this very short passage. And so there are three parts. There's the what, there's the who, and there's the how of the Great Commission. So let's first take a look at the what, right? So the what of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about discipleship being the primary work of the kingdom and of kingdom people. And I summarized this whole this whole idea of of discipleship as kingdom work is primarily the work of the Holy Spirit in and through kingdom people who are themselves raising up more kingdom people. In other words, disciples who make other disciples. And that remains. I'm not going to hammer that home. 
um, the formation moment from, from that Sunday and the sermon is up. Um, I'd love for you to, to check that out if you'd like to hear more about this, this discipleship piece. And so we won't hammer it, hammer it, um, hammer it you know, into the ground again. It's enough to say that Jesus' kingdom, kingdom people's Go all nations. Unfortunately, with everything that's gone on politically and otherwise in our in our community, I mean in our country and our world, uh, we've experienced how destructive neglecting this piece of the commission, the Great Commission, can. Then what talk to us about, which is now. with or, or that he desires a nation or a group of people or a type of government over about over against another. But this verse, these words right here tell us that that kind of thinking is anti- the call for the church to make this. These three small words, brothers and sisters, gate nullify and every smidgen any and supremacy of any within the kingdom the belief that every man and woman is equally valuable the eyes of god is essential to fulfilling the great commission brothers and sisters as we go about in the world we clearly see so many examples of oppression of some people groups and the exalting of other people groups based on elements like skin color or country of origin or tribal heritage or or or, or gender or socioeconomic standing but we have to recognize brothers and sisters that sinful human beings sinful systems these are not characteristics of of king jesus's economy for in jesus's kingdom there is neither jew nor nor greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female for we are all one in christ and anything brothers and sisters that bears the name of christian must embody and promote these of equality, anything contrary to this is and will be condemned and done away with in Christ's kingdom. It will not be allowed and it will not stand. Which is why we seek wholeheartedly in our numbers, in our churches today, to root them out, to make sure that we are valuing all men of every nation and women, all people. And so then, see the how, the what, the who, and the how. And the how is this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And so we see here actually two Hows, right? Baptism and teaching. And the first is baptism. 
And, you know, whenever I think about baptism, I think about the movie, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And if you uh, remember, there's a certain scene where um, the, the three main characters, there are three escaped uh, prisoners, and they're walking through the woods of the deep south, and, and they hear this beautiful cool singing. An old hymn, old church hymn. And they see a ton of people in white robes going down to the river, and there's a preacher baptizing them. Well, one of the three men, his name is Delmar, he, 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 he sees what's going on, and he hears the words of the song talking about washing away sins and, 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 and those things. And so he runs ahead of the line, he runs to the preacher, and he gets baptized, and he comes back and he tells his friends, well, that's it. So all my sins have been washed away. He sounds like Pastor Drew. He says, washed away. And he says, neither God nor man has anything on me. And he really believes that because he's just been baptized, that, uh, he, you know, he doesn't have to go back to prison. He even tells his friends, he says, even that, that piggly wiggly that I knocked off, they can't hold that against me. And I always think about that scene because I really, I value this man's, I mean, he really, really appreciates baptism, although he's very wrong in what he assumes there. Because baptism is not just about the act itself. There's nothing special about water by itself and being plunged. But baptism in the community of faith, this baptism that Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go and perform. These are important for the believers, for followers of Christ, for Christians, for two reasons, mainly here. The first, I take from... His book, It Takes a Church to Baptize, canon theologian Scott McKnight, who's a canon theologian of our diocese, he says, is one of the purest moments of enacting, embodying, and understanding the gospel itself. In baptism, the gospel is put in motion. Being immersed in the water and then rising from the water of baptism is a declaration of Jesus' saving work and the declaration that that work has indeed been effectually applied to us. Baptism is, brothers and sisters, a passive act that says more about what God has done for us than for what we are doing in the act itself. Second important part piece about baptism is that baptism also is also the means by which a person, a believer, is outwardly grafted into the church. Now, I just want to take an aside. Here at Redeemer Community Church, we also practice infant baptism, but this particular passage is speaking about the baptism of conversion. And so that's the context here. And so baptism is also the means by which a person is outwardly grafted into the church. And here I emphasize outwardly here because baptism does not in and of itself point to the sincerity of a person's heart. Um, uh, a person's faith. But baptism does show that they are at the very least professing to be a follower of Jesus. And so when coupled with sincere faith, baptism does become and is this beautiful act of becoming a part of the blessed community of faith and of the family of God. There is an extremely important and significant spiritual benefit to being baptized, being baptized when it is coupled with faith. 
You are in the Lord's eyes being baptized into the death and resurrection of the Lord, identifying with that and then being included into his beloved family. That's why it's important that we be baptized. And it's important that we not neglect it, neglect it as if it is just something to do. And it's also important to see here, brothers and sisters, and what Jesus says that 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 baptism must take place in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and this just means that when we are baptized into the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and into the family of faith, the fulfiller or the one who 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 fulfills our redemption and the one who is the basis of our fellowship is the triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit each play a necessary role in our salvation and fellowship. Declaring this truth and being baptized into this truth is extremely important. Baptism is a very serious endeavor that must take place among the community of faith. It's not a, not a solo endeavor, right? Uh, not... Uh, too long ago, our own Kyleen Kompan, uh, you know, she plays guitar for us. She also owns uh, the Chattahoochee Coffee Company and the one on the north side that's by the river. She says one day she looked out and she saw a group of a group of people going down into the water and coming up and she couldn't quite make out who, was, who it was. She got closer and she saw that it was Justin Bieber baptizing people in the Chattahoochee River. If you know anything about me, I, I, I love me some Justin Bieber. The Biebs is my guy, but I got to be honest, um, that's not the way we, we do this. You can't just all willy-nilly go baptizing and dunking people. It must be done under the auspice of the community of faith, and that's why we value things like the ordained ministry, like the local church, to make sure that it is also happening in tandem with what we'll talk about next, the proper biblical teaching. And so that second how of the Great Commission is by teaching, specifically teaching them everything that Jesus commanded them, right? And the apostles fulfilled this call by devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. And also by writing the New Testament under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're writing and penning those letters to different churches that we now have as a part of our Bible was them teaching everything that Jesus had commanded them. And so we as kingdom people seeking to make more kingdom people, we continue in the tradition of the apostles and of this great commission when we commit ourselves to faithfully sharing and teaching the Bible to others. And again, this is. A, a, at the core of our discipleship, making other disciples, we must be doing so through the scripture, the apostolic tradition. And so, friends, we have the great claim, we have the great commission, and finally we come to the great comfort. And so Jesus concludes these three greats by assuring his disciples, by telling them that he will always be with them. Always. The commentators William Hendrickson and Simon Kistemacher, they wrote that this verse is a promise, a fact, that Jesus is emphatically saying, no less than I myself, Jesus himself, is with you. Not just forever, but for every day, for every day, day in and day out. 
They say to think of these days as following each other one by one, each with its own assurance from Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I would never forget, I once went to the movie theater to see this movie, and um, I don't know if you're familiar, I think this this, this man actually um, died recently, but he carried cross, uh, crosses on his back across the country. Um, I can't remember his name to save my life, but I've been a Christian for a little while now, and I was watching this movie, and, and I, I just saw the, 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 the part where he was carrying the cross and stopped to get a drink of water, and the cameraman um, asked him about the strength he to carry the cross and he says well jesus told me he will never leave me nor forsake me and i don't know why but i just started crying when i heard that and the reality is brothers and sisters i just don't think that that's a reality for two for, for, for most of us it's not a reality that when jesus says that he will never leave us nor forsake us that he indeed is promising he is stating fact that when we come to him in faith He is with us every step of the way, through every difficulty, through every hardship, through every failure. He remains committed to us. And just like the apostles, we have to hear his words of this great claim, this great commission and this great comfort against that backdrop. He is committed to us, his children. And so keeping this in mind, that Jesus is with us right where we are this morning, ask, let's ask ourselves a few more questions. What would be different about our lives if we really believed that Jesus is with us of every moment of every day? What changes would you make to your life? What risks would you take? What risks would you stop taking? And again, as you think of those questions, realize that he is with you. He is with you and he's promised to never leave you. And so we can live each day knowing that this Jesus This Jesus who has authority over all things, this Jesus who loves us, who is committed to us, he has our back. We can trust that he is with us through it all. And let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, thank you again for your holy word. Thank you for this great claim, this great commission, and this great comfort, which is for us. And my prayer, Lord God, is that you would just make it clear to us. First, that you are with us. And secondly, Lord God, that we can go about doing whatever you call, you call us to, because you guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.